Amen. Amen. Hey, parents, if you didn't know this, the Lord gave men one superhuman ability, and that is that we have selective hearing. So if your kids are in this room, they are a joy and honor, and they're not going to bother me one bit, so don't fret. Like, we're just glad, we're glad they're in here, we're glad you're here, uh, and it's going to be okay. All right? Happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies in the room that have the privilege of being called a mom. Uh, I've been married now for 12 years, and we have four kids, and I can just tell you after watching my wife for all these years, holding that badge of honor of mom is one of the most sacred gifts ever. I think about my wife, she is sacrificially, continually, oftentimes thanklessly serving our family, and she does it relentlessly. Moms, we have so much respect for you. Whether or not you're a mom or a daughter, or you are a daughter of a mom, which everybody is if you're a lady, we are grateful for you. You do so much, and you deserve our praise. Now, here's what I know. For Mother's Day, it means a whole lot of different things for a lot of different groups of people. For some of you, for some of you, it's the best day of the year. You finally convince your husband to get his butt up, take care of the kids, and make you breakfast. And you just like, I'm good now. Some of you, it's your first Mother's Day. Like we all know, something miraculous happened during COVID and somehow all these babies just showed up everywhere when y'all got locked up. And it's amazing. And we celebrate you. And it's awesome. And some of you, like my buddy Chris, sit in this room and it's the first Mother's Day that he doesn't have his mom. I know that carries a significant weight of emotion for some of you. For some of you, you, if you're honest, you sit in this room and there's a bit of envy, there's a bit of jealousy, there's a bit of like anger because you can't be a mom. Or you made decisions in the past that you're not very proud of. Maybe for some of you, you have a mom that wasn't the ideal mom and it conjures up all these different reflections in your life. And all I want you to hear me say is, is we see you. We know this is challenging. We know for some of you, the mountaintops are high, and for some of you, the valleys are low. And for each of you, what I want you to know is that we are grateful for who you are, and we see who you are, and we're grateful for that. So today, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to grab that and meet me over in Proverbs 31. Now, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it's right in the middle of your Bible, so just flip it to the middle. You'll probably get to the Psalms. Go one book over. It's Proverbs chapter 31. I want to show you, I want to show you five characteristics of a godly woman today. As you flip there, the year was 1955, and this young, small, African-American woman became a national hero. Her name is Rosa Parks. Often, uh, most of us, if you didn't live underneath a rock, know who she is, but many of you don't know what formed her, shaped her into the woman that she is or was. It all started, if you rewind the tape back, to when she was five years old, when her grandfather sat her down and gave her a talk that she would never forget. He taught her that you need to go to bed at night fully clothed because you never know when you have to get up and leave. Y'all, I don't know about you, but most of us don't have to teach our kids those kind of lessons. But one thing that her grandfather taught her was although the reality of her life might be challenging, there was somebody that was better than life and his name was Jesus. So they got up every Sunday morning, they went to church, and she learned about a firm foundation that was stronger than anything this world had to offer. 
So when that day came in 1955, she is prepared. But again, maybe a detail you have not heard is 10 years prior to that event, she actually had a run-in with that same exact bus driver where she had a play when she did not get up from her seat. So 10 years later, she's prepared. And as she's being interviewed of this event, she says, people thought I didn't get up because I was tired. She said, I was tired, but I wasn't physically tired. I was tired of people taking advantage of us. And she said, in that moment, I decided to have the courage to sit. Y'all, we live in a society that often teaches that women are weak, but the reality is that some of the most courageous acts in human history happened because women decided to do some of the most amazingly strong things. She, in that moment, 1955, sparked the civil rights movement that has changed the fabric of our country. See, what you don't realize is many times things go unnoticed. People like Martin Luther King Jr. get the spotlight. All the while, it took the courage of somebody that you might not hear a lot about. It reminds me of many of the women in this room. Like acorns on an oak tree that have to fall to the ground and die, you can continually die to yourself so that other people can get lifted up. It reminds me of my wife, if I'm honest with you, who quit her career so that this church could be planted, and oftentimes I get most of the credit for starting this church, and yet what you need to understand about this amazing woman who sits behind me often at City Church is she was an absolute boss. She ran an architectural firm as a commercial interior designer. She went to SCAD, the college, Savannah College of Art and Design before that, and she ran like professionally better than I ever could. And yet this lady decided that she was going to sacrifice a little death because she believed that God had something better. It makes me think about people like Jean Fitzgerald who sits in the back in that production booth that you don't see who decided that she was going to give up her career in Durham, North Carolina and follow God here to start all over because she believed in God for something better. It makes me think about people like Emily Ham who did the same exact thing. What I want to do today as I want to show you, I want to show you that this, this title of woman might be one of the most incredible titles that God can give you. Y'all, last year when my wife went into the hospital for a couple months, if I'm honest with you, I thought in the back of my head, this ain't going to be that hard. I just watched the kids for a couple months. Y'all, she got the hardest job in the entire world. I am telling you, she needs to be praised every day for what she does. See, biblical women are fierce. They're fierce. Now, let me address the elephant in the room really quickly. I'm a man that's about to give you five characteristics of what a biblical woman should be. I get that. Like it's, listen, this is as awkward for me as it is for you, okay? But I want you to hear me say this. This is why you don't sit down and get lessons from Uncle Billy. It's why we don't give you information we teach through the Bible. Because I just believe that if you teach through the Bible, you don't give information, you give revelation, which leads to transformation, and that's what God wants for all of our lives. So I speak on the authority of God's word, and here's why all of that matters. The Bible is the most pro-woman book in the history of the world, and many of the, the equalities that you sense in today's world are because you breathe the air of the Bible. You see, back in the day, in antiquity, while all of society was diminishing the role of women, what you get is the very first person to meet the risen Christ 
was a woman named Mary Magdalene who was a previous prostitute who comes and she, in a society when a woman's testimony wasn't even considered valid in court, God used to change the fabric of the world. You get people like Deborah who stepped up to the plate when Barak failed to do his job and she saves the nation of Israel. Or an entire holy book of the Bible named after a lady named Ruth who changes the course of history. Think about Esther, the queen who saves the nation of Israel. Paul, Paul gives dignity to Timothy's grandmother and mom. By the way, we are going to look at what many people call the most popular passage in the Bible for women, Proverbs 31. But let me just say this, ladies. You don't have a passage in Scripture. The entire thing is for you. All 66 books speak to you just as much as they speak to any man in the entire world. You have value and you have worth and God has a word for you. Matter of fact, our goal at City Church is to elevate the role of women all the time into their God-giving, complementing roles that God has given all of us so that we would flourish. This is why we continually hire competent women to lead in prominent roles. I can think about Kelsey. So when we started this church, we hired Kelsey to lead our worship ministry because we believe that when everybody's voices are elevated to the place that God has gifted them, then everything changes, all right? With that, meet me in Proverbs 31, 30, and let me give you five characteristics of a godly woman. Here's what it says. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Here's what you need to understand about Proverbs 31. It's, it's written in a literary form called a Hebrew acrostic. Okay, it's a poetic genre in which you take the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and you start every stanza of the poem to create a point. The whole point, the whole idea is, is that this Hebrew acrostic would culminate in the very last letter that would show you the most important thing about a godly woman. It's found right here in verse 31. A godly woman is somebody who fears the Lord. That's what the writer says, that, that, that this woman chooses to live for a better kingdom. See, she doesn't give in to the pressures of this culture. And let me just tell you, I'm the first to tell you that I've learned over the last five and a half years here that it's incredibly difficult here, especially for women. Like our culture is super high demanding. I remember when we first moved here, my wife was like, Billy, I just got to let you know, like I'm dropping off our kids at school in the morning and it looks like the tennis moms are going to the ball after they drop the kids off and I'm just trying to hold it together. I mean... They, right? They, they show up in the Range Rovers, and I'm just telling you, it's like there's this Facebook page, a secret Facebook page that tells you the dress code, like Stanley Muggs. Okay, Stanley was broke going through bankruptcy three weeks ago. All of a sudden, if, you're not, if you don't have a Stanley mug or a Lululemon purse, something's wrong. We live in a culture that has these underlying currents of what it looks like to be in our society. And I just want you to hear me say, a Proverbs 31 woman doesn't live for the praise of the people around them. What they do is they live for the praise of God. And none of those things in and of themselves are bad. It's just that you don't get your identity for those things. And here's why all that matters. You're going to see in this one passage that there's two pitfalls that I want to show you really quickly that need to be avoided if you want to make it in this world. Here's number one. Pitfall number one is charm. Charm is deceitful. So here's what he means by that. You can praise somebody with your lips and turn around and curse them with the same exact mouth. Like the old proverb says, the enemy disguises its heart with its lips. There's nothing like good old Southern charm, right? Took me some time to realize that, oh, praise your heart. Oh, bless your heart really means you're an idiot. 
What the writer is saying, he's not talking about natural charm. He's talking about the type of charm that can elevate yourself in a position to where everybody thinks, wow, you're super nice. And then you go behind their back and you talk about them or you you pray about them. You know what I'm talking about? Where Where you pray gossip over people. What the writer is saying is if you do this, you might gain stature in this world. But the deceitfulness of that is you're not living for the right kingdom. And the beauty that happens as you gain the approval of people can actually be diminishing in God's kingdom. So charm is deceitful. But then he says, number two, beauty is vain. Now let's be honest. In our world and in our culture today, if you are what the culture says is pretty, honestly, life is a bit easier for you. But I want you to see who wrote this chapter. If you go back to verse 1, what does it say? The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. That's who wrote this. Scholars believe that Lemuel was a pseudonym for Solomon, which would actually mean that the person who wrote Proverbs 31 would have been Bathsheba. What do you know about her? She was a very, very attractive woman. She was what culture would tell you is beautiful. She was so attractive that she got the kingdom as the queen of Israel simply through her beauty. This woman, who had it all, is telling you that beauty is vain. Think about that. Listen, it's okay to appreciate beauty, but if that's the driving force behind your life, it is fleeting. And beauty is the number one idol of our culture. Ladies, I need you to hear me say this loudly. You are beautiful just the way you are. You you hear me? If you don't fit into the box of what culture says is pretty, who cares? Because eventually they're not going to either. God has designed you perfectly. You don't need to feel the pressure to look a certain way. You need to cultivate inner beauty. And that's what Proverbs 31 woman is all about. Listen, God sees you and he loves you. And if your husband really loves you and sees you, he's not going to care what you look like anyway. Because here's the deal, bro. You don't look like Brad Pitt anyway. All right? I'm just telling you, sometimes, men, we need to chill out and recognize the godly given gift that you have sitting right next to you. It is a treasure that God has given you. I'm telling you, the longer I'm married, and I think that my wife is absolutely gorgeous, the longer I'm married, the more I think she's even more beautiful on the inside, and that's way more attractive than what she looks like on the outside. It is her best quality. All right, now this blueprint. This blueprint for what God has called you ladies to be. It's a picture that's not going to be found in culture. But God's ideal for you is that you would live into this and become the type of person that he has called you to be. It starts in verse 10. Here's what he says. Here's what she says. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Maybe a better translation at the beginning of that, instead of saying an excellent wife who can be found, it really should say more like a virtuous woman of good character who can be found. That word excellent, it's a very interesting word in Hebrew that's not used often. Matter of fact, it's only used to describe one other person in the entire Bible, and that is Ruth. An excellent woman. Here's, it was a military term used for commanders to talk about how set apart and how strong and how dignified they were. Here, here, here it is. Write this down. A godly woman is powerful, confident, and strong. That's what he's saying. The word here that he uses to describe a woman is that. I want, I want you to notice. 
I want you to notice this throughout Proverbs 31, that he never one time talks about the external characteristics of this woman. It's all about the internal aspects. Every single thing that you are going to see about a godly woman has to do about their internal qualities. So let me give you this, ladies. God wants you to cultivate the inside, not the outside. He cares more about your heart than he does your external beauty. And ladies, I just want to caution you really quickly. As I give you these five things, here's what you need to know. They're not a to-do list to be accomplished. God already sees you, and he already loves you, and he already accepts you. You live out these things. Like I tell my kids every night whenever I pray for them. Every prayer, if you really think about it, just really needs to be one thing. God, pour your spirit out on me. Because the more of your spirit that I have, the more loving, peaceful, patient, kind. I don't need to pray for any of those things to be true. I need God, I need you to, to give me more of you. If you will seek more of God, you will become more of these things. All right? Here's the first one. The primary characteristic of a biblical woman is that she is a woman led by virtue, not value. Let me show you this. In a world that looks at the external value they will tell you to look at things like what kind of car do you drive or what do you wear? And let me tell you, this comparison trap is an evil game that if you get caught up in it, it will become the driving force of your life and it will become the value add, not the virtue. But the writer says this, the writer says virtue, if it's your driving force, it is the most amazing component that you can cultivate. Now watch what happens. As virtue becomes your value, watch this, your husband will trust you. I, I, that's an interesting point. Do, do you know that gl the glue that holds the marriage together is trust? Trust is one of those unique things that takes years to cultivate and seconds to diminish. But something happens in this freedom of trust. When you cultivate value, he says you're, she says he will trust you. Listen, I'm telling you, in the long run, there's nothing that outpaces character. And there's nothing more worthy to cultivate than godly virtue. So let's talk about that really quickly. Let me give you two quick things, ladies, that you can do to cultivate this godly virtue according to this text. Number one, honor your husband. Honor your husband. Did you notice that it says she does him good all the days of his life? I love this. A Proverbs 31 woman is someone who is a leader, but she's a leader that does not usurp the God-given roles of their marriage. There is something beautiful that happens in a home where there is mutual honor and respect together. So she does her husband good, but I'm telling you, if you read through Proverbs 31, she's not a doormat, she's a boss. She works, she works hard, she takes care of herself. She's not sitting there saying, I acquiesce all of, my, all of myself to you. No, they, they honor one another. They make decisions together. And dude, sometimes I hear some of this pushback like, well, she just makes dumb decisions. Or she's led by her emotions. I find that really interesting. She makes dumb decisions. She's led by her emotions, and yet she picked you. There's an old story, and it goes like this. God was creating Adam and Eve, and, and Adam decided he was going to have a consultation with God, and he asked, her, he asked God a couple questions. He says, God, why did you make Eve so cuddly and soft? He goes, that's easy, so that you'd love her. He said, all right, that makes sense to me, but God, why did you make her so foolish? He goes, so that she would love you. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, you need to know that your, 
your husband might not tell you this, but his greatest insecurity in life is this. He thinks deep down inside that he's a fraud, that he's not nearly as good as people might think that he is. And he looks to you to build him up. So let me just tell you, the best way that you can honor your husband is to publicly always honor him. Always. Always talk about him in good ways. Always build him up. Recognize the good that he has and the sacrifices that he makes. And he will honor you and he'll do anything for you. And that will create this beautiful symmetry that God has called godly women to help cultivate. Number two, work hard. I love this phrase, with willing hands. A godly woman is a contributor, not a complainer. She works with willing hands. Now, I, I don't even need to spend time on this because the ladies that I know are the hardest workers I know. They're continually sacrificing and they never complain. They watch the kids, they change the diapers, they do the dishes, they clean the house. And oftentimes on top of that, they work all in the marketplace. So good job, ladies. Like, I just think that God has naturally gifted you there. Verse 14. She is like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Next one is this. A godly woman is a provider. One of the greatest myths that our culture tends to hold on to is men are the providers. Y'all, some of you men are looking for a chapter and verse in the Bible to convince your wife to just be at home, and this ain't it. Because if you read Proverbs 31, she is a provider. So let me just say this really quickly. If you're a family that chooses, like we are, to be a single-income home where my wife uh, stays home with our kids, if that's you, I, I just want you to hear me say this. You have an amazing job. Like, my wife works incredibly hard, never turns it off, never clocks out. It's incredible. And one of the things that we took out of the vocabulary in our house, and I just want to commend this to you, is it's not my money, it's our money. Every bit of what we do, she works and I work, and the one paycheck that comes in provides for our family that we both did our job. And ladies, if that's your calling, let me hear, hear me whenever I say this. As a high calling, it's a godly calling, and God is using you, and those kids are fortunate to have you at home. Now, church, what we have to stop doing is shaming women who go and work in the marketplace. The Bible doesn't do that. Some of you ladies are called to go do that, and some of the most ferocious, amazing Women I know go do that. I think about Katie Feltz and Kristen Hunter, who I'm telling you, if you were to take them at any given time, are more qualified to do their jobs than any man that I know. They are bosses and they work extremely hard. What you've got to do is you've got to understand that God has called some of you to go work in the marketplace and God has called some of you to be at stay-at-home moms. And both of those are great, amazing callings and you are providing for your family. Don't feel bad about that. Church, stop shaming one another because they don't fit into the box that you have. If you look at Proverbs 31, I'm telling you, both of these, both of these things are true. We got to let God allow us to operate within our lanes. You need to be confident with your role and just do what's best for your family. All right? Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. <laughs> I think about that. That is my wife to a T. We put our kids down and I'm like, what are you doing? Sit down. She's like, I gotta clean the house. I gotta do all that. Like she never, she never rests. She puts her hands to the distaff 
and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. Check this one out. A biblical woman is a protector of the needy. I, I love this. This is the kind of woman that God has called all of, all of you ladies to be, a sacrificially caring for one another lady. Think about the imagery here. The distaff and the spindle were things that cultivated or made clothing. See, what she was doing is she understood that she had a proactive skill that would go into the marketplace, that would provide clothes for her kids, that would create the money necessary for her family, and then the generosity to help the needy. Y'all, the Christian life is about caring for the vulnerable, and I can't think of people who do this better than godly women. They extend their hands to their kids. They die to themselves all the time to lift others up, and they care for the hurting and the needy, and they're compassionate in ways that God uses. I want you to notice that this lady is proactive, not reactive. She's got skills, and she's using them to respond to needs when they happen. She's not sitting around idly all day. She is getting after it. And listen, I know, I know I've praised her a lot, but I can't think of people who do this more amazingly than my wife. She works all day. Then she puts the kids to bed. Then she cleans the house. Then she edits photos. On top of that, she's always praying for you guys. She's continually reaching out, making meals for the 30,000 kids that continue to be born around here. She buys gifts with monies that she doesn't have. And then one thing that you guys don't realize is she shows up here every single Sunday, sacrificially serves as a single mom on Sunday mornings because I'm here early. I have to preach. And she's got to endure listening to her husband talk, Okay. And she does that all the while why I get most of the credit. And yet, can I just tell you that this woman loves you so much, she sits behind the scenes that most of the time you never see, and this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the sacrifices that she makes. She is a godly woman. See, my wife is a proactive provider who loves all of you more than you'll ever know. And the only reason why you don't see it is because she works behind the scenes so that I can be out front. Check this out, verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. Now, I don't have time to get into the linguistics here, but in Hebrew, that word scarlet probably shouldn't be translated that way. It should probably be translated like fine, thick clothing. Here's what, here's what she's saying. She's saying that this sister works so hard to cover her family, her household, so that when the storms of life come, they are covered proactively. You see, the steady, proactive provision of a godly woman, she works hard when it's easy so that whenever the storms come, they're cared for. Godly women are workers, and they don't fear because they do what's necessary. They don't fear when their kids go into this cold, dark world because they did the hard work when they were young to cultivate discipline and godly character in them. They don't care about the approval of culture because they find themselves approved by God. They don't fear the fleeting pleasures of outward beauty because they have cultivated this virtue of inward beauty and they lean into who God has called them to be and they're confident in that. See, it doesn't really matter what storms this life brings to this kind of woman because she has built her life on the firm foundation that is Jesus and she is ready. They worked hard to cultivate their relationship with their creator so what do they have to fear? Verse 22. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen cloths and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Oh, I love that. Take note of this. She is confident. 
The writer says that a godly woman is a confident team player. She's lifting up her husband so that he can sit among the elders at the gates. If you know anything about ancient Israel, the gates, the city gates was the place where all all the merchants would come, all the business transactions happened, all the leaders of the town were at the gates. And what you have to understand is the reason that he could go sit at the gates is because she had provided a way for him to do it. Notice this. Notice this, that that she says that he is her husband, not she is his wife. Notice that wording. I think that that is absolutely amazing. Verse 23, her husband, not his wife. Men, let me just tell you, sometimes it's good to just stop and recognize that most of what you've achieved is because she has sacrificed for you to achieve it. On this Mother's Day, that might be a good thing for you to recognize. One of the many things that I love about my wife is that she doesn't rely on me to complete her. She doesn't rely on me to complete her. She relies on the Lord to do that. Men, let me just tell you one thing. You are not your wife's source. You are a resource. God is your wife's source. And if you allow the Lord to complete your wife, she doesn't need you to do that, which means that you can actually enjoy your wife. What this godly woman does is she knows that her greatest source in life is the Lord who gives her strength, and that gives her confidence to build you up. And what it does is it allows for godly women to laugh. Right? She laughs at the time to come. Why? Because she's not worried. See, when God is your source, you're not worried about the things that you can't control. I love the way my friend Brian Loritz says it. Worry is paying interest on trouble not yet due. For some of you, you're worried about things that just haven't even happened yet. The way I say it is you tend to write your own worst story. She is not worried. She's not fearful. She's not worried at all because she's continually going back to her source and she casts all of her anxieties and all of her fears on the Lord because she knows that he cares for her. Life is a team sport and she's running the play that God has called her to and her husband sits in a place of honor because she gets her dignity from the Lord. See, strength and dignity are her clothing. That means that God has covered her clothing with godly character and her confidence is found in the fact that it's found in God and not in you, which means that she's not worried about her future. There is a steady confidence that she gets and she plays her role in it. Godly women are confident. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done exceedingly, excellently, but you surpass them all. Here's the last one. Ladies, godly women speak wisdom. Let's camp out here for just a second. A godly woman speaks wisdom because she's shaped by wisdom. See, ladies, what you need to know is whose you are, and if you know whose you are, then that determines who you are. For many of us, we don't take the time to to base our life off of whose we are, which means that we tend to settle for less. But when you know whose you are, when you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that the author of all wisdom has created you in his image, and you have deep value and dignity, well, that allows you to speak wisdom. Did you know that it's impossible to have the image of God without women? Like I know, I know because God is a man in scripture that we tend to only look at the masculine aspects. But remember when God created man and woman, he created both of them in his image, which means that it takes both of us to get a full and complete picture of who God is. Women, you are every bit an image bearer as any man in this room and God has designed you perfectly and we need you to see God the way that he is. 
So you see this woman, this woman speaks wisdom because she's shaped by wisdom. And because she's shaped by wisdom, it overflows out of her heart so that she teaches kindness from her tongue. And the people closest to her call her blessed. Lady, it's true. It's true that the one who rocks the cradle runs the kingdom. You get that, right? Go back up to verse 1. Remember what it says, the words of Lamuel, which many people believe is Solomon, an oracle of his mother. Think about this. She influenced the kingdom by her godly wisdom. Your influence is significant, and the people who are closest to you will call you blessed. When you are shaped by the love of God, you will be praised by the people who matter most, and it will multiply your impact around the world. When you are shaped by culture, you might be praised by people, but you are going to be chasing the one thing that God has set aside for you. Men, on this Mother's Day, I think that you can go home and take this one verse, and you should repeat it to your wife, your mom, and your kids. Look at it in verse 29. It's a good word. I think, look at it. And he praises her. That semicolon there, I think, is on purpose because I think you can interchange the words of the second one. And he praises her for many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What if you went home today and you said, and I praise you, daughter, for many ladies have done excellently, but you, you surpass them all. Mom, I praise you for many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. My wife, I praise you. Listen, there's a lot of women in this world, but in my mind, you surpass them all. See, I love this. We started out by looking at verse 30, this culmination of this acrostic. In verse 30, charm is deceitful, but beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You see it? She fears the Lord. What's interesting to me is Proverbs chapter 31, it culminates in this acrostic with the woman who fears the Lord is wise. The entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Wisdom is personified as a woman in the book of Proverbs, and the culmination of the very last chapter is a woman to show you that the wisest people in the entire world, whether or not you're a man or a woman, is those who fear the Lord. See, if you want to be wise, fear the Lord. If you want to be wise, fear the Lord. This woman walks with Jesus. The number one thing you bring into your relationship is your walk with God. There's nothing more attractive in this world than a woman who confidently walks with the Lord. A godly woman is shaped by virtue and character. They know their value because Jesus has given them eternal value. They care for their souls more than they care for their bodies, and they honor their family, and most of all, they know whose they are, which determines who they are. Now, I want to I close today. I want to close today by showing you that because they're image bearers, Godly women actually point to a greater reality. See, we often talk about the masculine aspects of Jesus, but Jesus also has these nurturing aspects to where the Bible says that he would bring you in like, like babies underneath his wings. And you ladies, as you live out this godly character, as you sacrifice, you point like a window into a deeper reality. You point us to a greater reality, and his name is Jesus. The one who didn't just die to himself every day, but he literally died. Who would live your perfect life. He would die your death and he would raise from the dead. When you die your little deaths every single day to your children and to us, what you're doing is you're painting a picture of the ultimate sacrifice, the one who would do that to give you life. And because he died like this, because he sacrificed himself, there's a confidence that would tell you that you don't have to fear tomorrow. You laugh at the times to come because you have a confidence in who God is. 
Ladies, on this Mother's Day, whether or not you are a mom, a daughter, or you're just a lady that showed up here, I want you to hear me say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you that you take the time to cultivate this godliness because when you do, like he says, like she says, you are exceedingly amazing. Who can find one like her? Now the world needs to see godly women like you. So thank you. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus. We love you and we hope you have a great Mother's Day. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for these ladies. God, thank you for your love and your grace. You are our ultimate reality. You are where we find our hope and our dignity. God, I pray that no matter what some of these ladies walk into this room with, no matter if it's a Mother's Day where they're experiencing the joy and the hope of being a a mom or, or they're carrying the weight of losing their mom or they just can't be a mom, no matter if it's a valley or a mountaintop, I pray that they would find their ultimate source in you, that they would be people who fear the Lord and that you would fill them up in every way. Jesus, may you be honored. We praise you and we thank you for these beautiful ladies. In Jesus' name, amen.